Dear Journal. All right, so this is the one where Doug sings about Patty being the mayonnaise for him. I mean, cute. Her name is Patty Mayonnaise. So I guess she's like the Big Mac secret sauce or something like that. And she's the Patty? I mean, I sometimes like mayonnaise on my burger, but then why does she say she's the pickle in his coleslaw? Does coleslaw even have pickles? It might just be a metaphor for her being a compliment to his life, like a condiment is to food, something like that, which would be on a burger. And her name is Patty, which again, it's clearly a burger reference. <sighs> Matt's vegetarian. Does he even eat burgers? <sighs> is she the meat or the sauce? Dear Journal. I'm really excited to record the podcast today, but I'm a little worried about something. I think that pork chop is the greatest animal companion of all time. But does magic carpet from Aladdin count as an animal companion? Nah. No, that's ridiculous. He's a carpet. I'm going all in on pork chop. I hope my real dog doesn't get jealous, though. But one thing is for sure. This podcast is going to rock. Welcome to the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast, where we will nerd out over the shows, movies, books, games, and more that made us who we are today. Prepare yourself for a return to the 1990s on the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are going to be going back to the 1990s with Doug. Doug is a seminal Nickelodeon cartoon, one of the originals, and it is something that, for me, I had not seen since back in the day. I had not gone back and watched any of it. Now, when I was a kid, I watched it constantly i probably have seen every episode but now we have you know over 25 years of distance in between probably the last time that i watched it and today um which is a little odd because i did go back and do rewatches of other nickelodeon shows uh, recently quite a lot of them but doug kind of slipped through the cracks and when i saw the episode that we are going to cover today Doug Takes the Case slash Doug's Secret Song. Whenever I watched this, it immediately flooded back. I had seen both of these because, of course, Doug, you have two stories in a single episode. And it just blew my mind how much was still in my brain. If you if you had asked me beforehand, you know, what do you remember about this episode? Yeah, I wouldn't have known anything at all. I, but then as soon as... I was watching it. It was just like unlocking memories just every second. It was wild. So I've got to ask, did you have the same experience? Absolutely. And I was responsible with picking the episode here for Doug. Doug, again, as you said, seminal show, made my Nick top five. We had covered Hey Arnold and Doug was kind of sitting around there. So I kind of wanted to go back to Doug and yeah, it just flooded. Absolutely. And this specific episode I didn't really pick. There's not a whole lot of literature on great Doug episodes. There's not a whole lot of internet community about which ones people prefer, anything like that. And so I kind of just went through 
ones that sounded kind of cool. And I was like, oh yeah, Doug takes the case. Sounds pretty cool. And secret song, you know, I, I love a good band episode, et cetera. So, Hey, let's try this one. It sounds like it'll be pretty fun. And it's kind of, it's, it's season two. So it's somewhat early in the show. And that's what I went with. And then boom, right away. I knew that's what this episode is. And then the second one, boom, that's what this episode is. And they have songs throughout Doug. And these are songs that we're going to talk about that I still sing to this day. And I just attached a huge part of the show to that song. And so it, it immediately drew me back. And so when we talk about the different morals and twists of these two episodes, I knew exactly what was happening because I remembered the songs because they are a part of my a part of my life, really. And how amazing is it that certain songs can really attach? I had no idea I was going to be surprised with this kind of nostalgia. The songs are massive. I mean, yeah, they are baked into my brain. Like, I mean, I, you know, and hearing them again was fantastic. But I also kind of sing them here and there. I never really forgot about those. That They were sort of permanently in my brain, I think. So this is, like you said, an earlier episode. It is season two, episode one. And it takes place, or I should say it was released September 13th of 1992. So we are kind of earlier in the series here. One thing that I do remember being a big part of Doug, which did not happen at all in this episode, no journal. journal. He didn't bust out the journal, you know, Uh, and that was something that I, in my mind, I thought happened every episode, but I guess it doesn't. So that threw me off a little bit. I was expecting that and it never happened. Yeah, that was that was interesting. He does narration throughout the whole thing. And I don't know if later on they decided to just go with the journal and him kind of talking through his journal as opposed to him just narrating. Maybe that made more sense. But yeah, that I was kind of waiting here. Dear journal, you know, that little line and it just didn't happen. He just narrated instead. So we have a lot to get into here and we will be narrating the episode as we go. And then we will have our commentary interspersed uh, within Normally, this would be the chance for us to go back to the 1990s. We would be entering into our segment, but we've already covered this month and this year before. So if you want to know things like the top movie, uh, TV show, video games from the year, go back and check out our Super Specs episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Because that came out this exact same month. So I'm not going to repeat the entire list here. There is one thing from it I wanted to talk about. And in the video game category, there was a release this month, which was called WWF Super WrestleMania. Uh, We did not really talk about this on the last episode. And what I really wanted to highlight, because, you know, I was more let's say, ingrained in uh, the wrestling fandom than Paul uh, at this time. And so I didn't really as much even want to talk about the wrestlers themselves so much as just the idea that Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo were the two main systems at this time. And they actually had different rosters for the wrestlers. Now, some of them were on both, but some were only exclusive to one or the other. So, you know, for example... The real big names here, like Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, uh, Ted DiBiase, these guys were on both of them. 
But then other wrestlers, my personal favorite, Shawn Michaels, and then others like The Ultimate Warrior were only on Genesis, which is the version that I played growing up. And then we had others like The Road Warriors and Jake Roberts and The Undertaker, and they were on the Super Nintendo version. So it's kind of wild to me how different games would be back in that time. Because I think nowadays they're pretty much the same across platform. That's sort of like a big trend. But in this time, you could have a game totally different. Like if you play Disney Aladdin on Genesis versus Super Nintendo, the games are completely different. Not just different rosters. They're just totally different games. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. It sort of makes it special on one hand. But then if you have the worst version on your system it's not so great so i don't know what do you think about this sort of exclusivity between systems i honestly always hated it because it's it's impossible to afford two systems and right now i'm an xbox guy and missing out on a lot of playstation exclusives i just don't like the controller of playstation never have so i kind of stuck with xbox but I, i hate exclusivity and it's weird to see that in sports obviously there's a ton of licensing negotiations that go on in these games and it seems like they streamlined it at some point where hey once you sign up it's all done in one false swoop but they probably had to go and approach these organizations and pay per wrestler or who knows what the companies had to do and i think the systems in general they were so far different in terms of their capacity and capability whereas now they're i feel like they're pretty even in terms of what they're doing it really is just about titles and so the games are able to be optimized on all systems by and large actually it's it's almost pc that has more of the issues just because they're not porting them well systems are so different with regard to the processors you're using the graphics cards you're using etc that you run into so many more issues and but consoles, it's it's they're all fully functional. And there's a little bit of licensing issues with some sports games, like Michael Jordan never put his name in game, so he's always player number 23. Bill Belichick of the Patriots never put his name in, so he was always New England, New England coach. And so you have these kind of one-offs where a player or, or coach might kind of opt out. At this point, though, I'll guarantee you that's part of the contracts, that it's, it's a standard that you know you're giving your image and likeness for any video game through the NFL. And so you, I don't think you'll ever have another Madden where a player is able to kind of pull out and not put his name in there. Well, it's too bad about Michael Jordan, but I'm fine with Bill Belichick not being included in a game. That's perfectly okay with me. It's funny that you don't like the uh, PlayStation controller because I actually really do like it. I'm, I'm a PlayStation guy now. I did have Xbox 360 and then from, and I had the original, but then from there I went PS4, PS5, but other than that, I but I definitely agree with everything that you said. The exclusivity, I think, could kind of just be a pain. And who wants to have to have every console that exists? I mean, it's outrageous. And so, you, you know, you can experience a lot more now with just one system rather than having to have everything. If you guys want to check out the rest of the list, find out the other top pop culture, you know, check out that Super Specs episode. But otherwise... I think we are ready to dive into our first of the two Doug stories here with Doug Takes the Case. Now, I will be narrating this one, so I will take us through the story. Obviously, when the show starts, we get the theme music. (laughs) 
such good theme music. This is classic. This is like top tier Nickelodeon theme music. And I saw right at the very beginning of this, you know, all of the different character animations. And I was starting to remember more and more of these characters. I definitely think that Porkchop is my favorite character. And we're going to hear a lot about him in the second story. Not quite as much in this one, although he is around. He's always around. I also like the part of the theme a lot when Roger Klotz appears because it turns into like this like rock medley for a little bit. It, like it's it's really pretty cool because of course Roger is our edgy bad guy bully character. He's got his leather jacket and everything. We get out of the theme music and we head into the story. Uh, we see Doug. He's wearing a classic trench coat. Uh, a lot of this story is told from the style of one of those really old detective stories, like maybe like the Maltese Falcon or something like that. And you've got your classic, you know, detective tropes uh, being employed here. So Doug has the trench coat. He's outside of the Bluffington school. And we find out... Thursday morning, I got a call to check out a little problem over at the Bluffington school. Seems the trouble started, see, when Bebe Bluff brought her dad's expensive radio to school. And she puts it into her locker. But then we learn, shockingly, that by four o'clock, it is gone. So this is the setup for the case. What happened to Bebe's radio? Doug informs us that this is, in fact, a job for the chameleon, which is his alter ego, his detective alter ego. We get a montage. We're gonna need a montage. Gotta love a montage of really cool detective stuff happening. It's these little quick scenes of Doug disguised with pork chop in different ways, trying to kind of catch this robber or thief that keeps running past. So in the one scene, they are disguised as a like a baby in a carriage and then pork chop is pushing the carriage in a human person disguise and as the robber goes past they throw off their disguises and chase after him we see another scene of an art museum where Doug and pork chop are basically in disguise as statues and they jump out whenever the robber comes down and tries to steal a painting and then we also get another scene where the robber is pickpocketing a man, but we have Doug disguised as a part of a brick wall. He then like detaches from the rest of the wall and chases after him. And Porkchop is disguised as a garbage can. And so throughout these scenes, you know, we get this similar idea of them chasing after a robber. And then at the end of this montage, it says the chameleon and it's sort of like a little secondary theme or introduction in a way getting us into this chameleon story and for the rest of this narration it's going to go back and forth between sort of like real life versus Doug's fantasy of himself as the chameleon and how he's trying to sort of solve this case now the main problem here is that Mr. Bluff, B.B.'s father, found out about the radio being stolen. And so we have the scene of him berating the class. Uh, you know, he's wearing a very fancy suit. He has a cane and he's yelling at everybody for stealing the radio. 
He embarrasses BB by saying that Of course, nothing's too expensive for my little sugar pumpkin, but really, Rob during show and tale. <gasps> Daddy, please, we don't have show and tell. We're not babies. And she sort of slinks down under her seat and she's very red faced. And the teacher here, Mr. Bone, says to Mr. Bluff that he will handle this. And if the radio isn't back by 1,600 hours today, then everybody in in the whole class will have to stay for detention after school. Hattie, who of course is Doug's love interest here, who he's always too afraid to tell that he's in love with her, his crush, if you will, Patty says, Oh, Doug, this is terrible. I have b-ball practice this afternoon. There's no way I can miss it. Doug decides to make it his goal to save Patty from detention by solving the case. So yeah, we get introduced to the bluffs and to uh, (laughs) put things into perspective here, they live, the the school is in a bluffing tin, right? So it seems like this entire city is named after this family. So this level of wealth is absolutely astronomical. They are incredibly rich. Did you have anyone like this in your school growing up that was just, They had the money. They had everything they needed to. You know, we definitely did. I can't really think of any by name because I'd like to call them out if I did. But no, I can't actually. There were um, different cliques of people in my high school. You know, there were different people who came from different parts of town. And there were certain areas that were the rich areas. And then you're kind of in between areas and then you're not so well off areas. I I was sort of one of the in-betweeners, I would say. And so I never really socialized a lot with like some of the, the, like the real high, high class individuals in my school. The closest I got was that I had a friend who lived in sort of like a newer housing plan. It wasn't like opulent, but it was like this nice newer house that just was a lot nicer than our older one that I grew up in. And, you know, he always like had more video games and more money and everything, but he wasn't like top tier. I always imagined that just like in every um, sort of like high school movie, you know, there's some kids that are like having some epic like pool party when their parents are out of town and they're like diving off the roof into the pool and stuff like that. You know, I didn't know anyone like that that had that sort of setup. So, I mean, what's your experience here? Well, I guess I should preface this with, I actually was kind of curious based on the show and tell comment about why, you know, what kind of thing in high school would be about that this would even be a thing. And it turns out, I guess Doug's around 11 years old at this time. So this is actually before high school. So this is, you know, nearing junior high. So they're a lot younger than I thought. I originally assumed high school, but it, but it wasn't. That's what I thought. I I always thought they were in high school, probably because I was a little kid watching it, but I, it's kind of seems like a high school, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. They definitely seem like high school. It just, it just makes sense. So that kind of changed my perspectives on things. I mean, definitely in, in, I guess, grade school, as I call it, elementary school prior to high school. Definitely didn't know anybody like that. In high school, I went to a private school where a lot of kids had money, but nothing that I really saw. I mean, it was a all boys prep school. So uniforms were all the same. And 
it was very egalitarian where basically everyone treated everyone normally. You didn't have girls, so you didn't need to really flaunt anything except one time I did have this sleepover and dude, this kid. So I went to his house. Basically he, he didn't have a whole lot of friends and I wasn't too close with him, but he wanted some people basically to watch anime with him. And I'm not even a big anime guy. He wanted to watch anime beyond, you know, the Pokemon and DBZ and whatnot. So I was a little apprehensive because, again, I'm not a huge anime guy. I think as far as I'll go is, you know, Gundam Wing. Roll up to this guy's house. I mean, this this was like a Bond-type house, like in the woods. It was mostly just paneled glass everywhere. Wait, so, so it's like Skyfall, like, essentially? <laughs> like, he lives in, like, a Scottish castle, like, in the, <laughs> in the countryside? <laughs> it, it was embedded in the woods, but similar concept of just, I've, I've never been wowed before. You know, I've been to a lot of people's houses in, in grade school and high school, none of whom I would say were infinitely more wealthy than I am now in the house that I have. But this house, dude, oh, it was insane. I was just blown away by it, but... I mean, otherwise, he was a, a normal kid. You wouldn't have ever assumed that. But, man, that kind of blew my mind. Yeah, that's wild. I never have been to a house like that, um, especially not back then, and certainly not in middle school. So, I mean, that's opulent, man. That, that's a lot. Yeah, my um, wife knew some people who basically, you know, they had how you know servant quarters or whatever for helpers. Oh, yeah, wow. She knew people like that, but I, I didn't. That's too much. That's not, that's too much. Nobody needs a servant. No one needs a servant's quarters or servants. That's that. I'm glad I didn't know people like that. Let me put it that way. One thing I wanted to ask you about the show and tell, because you, you brought that up. It seems like BB here is really embarrassed. And I've got to ask you, do you do anything that embarrasses your kids? Have you done anything where they're like, oh, dad, come on. Like, you know, that sort of thing. No, not yet. Thankfully, I'm I'm yeah. the, I'm the I'm the perfect father right now. No, I mean our yes. kids. I mean our kids are still homeschooled, and the friends they hang out with are all pretty cool. There's there's no like popularity issues or anything like that. And but it, yeah, I haven't been to a you know father daughter type dance in a few years. So we're not. I'm not at that age where that'll become an issue. And honestly, that wasn't even my experience growing up with my parents. I never, I never felt that they embarrassed me or anything like that. I mean, my mom and dad kind of knew their role and they stayed in their role and didn't do anything that would embarrass me. I hope that if I could stick to that game plan, it's fine. Did you find yourself being embarrassed by your parents at all? No, I can't recall anything. No, I, I think they knew their role, if you will. I mean, as The Rock would say. So, yeah, I don't really relate to that too much, although I, I do know people it happened to sort of had like helicopter type parents. For me, no, it wasn't really a problem, thankfully. But BB here, you know, she's feeling not only the embarrassment, but she's also kind of um, causing possibly a big problem here because this idea of the entire class having to stay for detention. That's pretty rough. I was never a fan of, I think we've talked about this before, but I was never a fan of whole class punishments. You know, I am now a teacher. I have been for a long time, longer than you would think. And and I'm careful never to do that. I haven't really had much cause to do it, but I remember in the past in school, I remember once uh, one teacher gave our entire class a an extra writing assignment or something like that because 
the class was being too loud and, and like disrespectful, but I was not. And so I just resented that teacher for the rest of the school year and like hated them because of it. So I remembered that and then made sure not to do it myself. Did you ever have that happen? I'm glad you've ended the trauma here. Yeah. It's not effective. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. effective because basically you're preying on the kid who did the crime to fess up and have a a conscience that they care about what happens to other people. The person did the deed. So it's very odd that you would use that type of punishment because whoever, you know, if it's Roger Klotz that actually did it, he, he doesn't, why would he care if people are staying behind? It'd probably make him happy. He, he articulates that later on. It's going to make them happy. Because we learned that he already has detention anyway. <laughs> so he's going to be there anyway. And I can't get over the dad here, uh, Mr. Bluff. I, I think it's a big problem here. You had mentioned about the embarrassment of helicopter parents. He kind of is that here in a little bit of a way. And I think it's also just, you know, I think parents can be embarrassing, you know, if they try being cool and hip, but here he's clearly interjecting himself in a situation that he doesn't need to. I mean, this could be de-escalated without reservation easily just by the new speaker or resolve things outside of class. You know, why make a big deal out of it? It's he makes it like a personal issue for himself that how dare you attack my daughter? Do you know who I am? You're going to pay the price. He's inserting himself in that situation. This is something that should have been done privately with BB. I mean, the money's not the issue. And so the issue is what happened to the speaker. That's something you resolve privately. And right off the bat, the chameleon in me is thinking, oh, it it was in a locker. How, How is someone breaking into her locker? It's a little suspicious right off the bat here as to the fact that somebody might steal this seems a little bit sketched to me. It's almost as if there could be another explanation, Um, but we'll see if the chameleon can crack the case here. What were your thoughts on how Mr. Bluff handled the situation? I mean, do do you feel that he was justified in making a big deal out of it? I I feel like Mr. Bone kind of felt stuck in a corner about the punishment. I felt like he really needed to send a message. I mean, he might be salaried, you know what I mean, (laughs) based on what this guy thinks. If he truly owns the town, he might be responsible for a paycheck. And so I feel like he escalated the situation in a way he shouldn't. I mean, am I wrong on that? No, I, I think what's happening here. Um, my assumption is that this is a public school. And so if it is, he's probably not directly responsible for a paycheck, but it's possible because, you know, their pay is going to come from that district or County, you know, the jurisdiction it's, it's a government position, but Basically, uh, what could happen is that, you know, Mr. Bluff, he's probably on the school board. And so he probably wields a lot of power and he's going to be able to exert pressure over the school. That happens all the time. Whenever, like we were talking about those rich people and parents and everything, they can exert pressure over school systems uh, exponentially compared to other people and in sort of indirect kind of ways, despite that they can't actually like hire and fire you, but they have a, they can still interject into that somehow. So um, I think that that's probably what's happening is that he's the power here behind the town behind again, probably the school board. Uh, If we're taking this into real and like real serious directions, there are a lot of schools that rely upon like levies and extra taxes from the community to like pay for extra teachers or salary increases or, extra facilities to be built for the school, remodeling, whatever. And so if the community 
doesn't vote to pass these things, then the school system like is out of luck. So if he wields political power, there's a ton of ways he could exert that over the school. So I, I would assume that that's what's going on here. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at about. Definitely Mr. Bone, I feel like he's kind of stuck in a corner here and and the dad's doing all this and he's immediately going after other students and not his daughter. I mean, he basically breaks from his little monologue to say, do you know how expensive this radio is? Not that anything would ever be too expensive for my loving daughter. He's one of these dads who's like, my, my daughter's beyond reproach here. And not only is the locker suspicious, but you have to be concerned about the value of this radio. And someone like him is going to control her life in a lot of different ways, but most especially an allowance. And you have to be careful because what else could she do with the radio? Sell it and give herself some additional spending money. That would be my, the first thought in my mind. And I knew a kid like this in grade school. It was around seventh or eighth grade. He stole his dad's magic cards. We're talking valuable cards, ball lightning, badlands. Magic fans would know this. These were hundred plus dollar cards at the time. Now they're probably <laughs> worth thousands. And he was just selling them in the playground for dirt cheap. I mean, we're talking a few bucks, we're talking 90% off. And I bought so many. I used all the money I could <laughs> to buy them. Well now done. I ended up losing them all to my older brother in, in one capacity or another, but th- through a series of trades. But the fact is he was, that's what he was doing. And his dad had the lotuses and he'd always talk about it, but he was basically, these were the parts of his collection that were kind of on the side. And so he would just take a little bit that would go unnoticed. That's how many cards his dad had. And who knows what he did with the money. I don't know if he was doing anything illegal with it. I don't know if he was buying fast food. I have no idea, but he got him that extra money. And so you got to be a little careful here. If you're Mr. Bluff about, you know, what is BB potentially selling this? I, I think everything's pointing to her and he just has the blinders on. Interesting. It seems like the chameleon has a different suspect, which of course is Roger Klotz, which, you know, if you're watching this as an adult, you can immediately be like, okay, like it's not going to be Roger. It's way too obvious because he's the one you would expect. And so we're going to have to see how chameleon goes about this investigation. I think that Chameleon also has some blinders on immediately just assuming that it's Roger. And so we're going to have to see how that plays out. Yeah. I mean, I seem like a, a super smart genius here. I mean, I do know what happened. So that, that might <laughs> line some of my perspective, yeah. but it seems so obvious now when you're, when you're watching it, I'm trying to pretend that I'm watching it for the first time, but this one I actually do remember. And you're talking about the chameleon here. I mean, did you have a tier system for these alter egos for Doug? I was kind of thinking of the other ones that I remembered. You know, the one that really sticks out to me is obviously Quail Man, just because of the outlandish outfit with the underwear sticking out. And then the other one that, you know, came to my mind was Durango Doug. Another favorite, just because of the song. I mean, that song was such a banger that I just, I love that character. So some of the other ones are like Smash Adams, Race Canyon, and Jack Bandit. So I don't know if you had other ones that kind of stuck out to you. Well, that's all of them, I think, um, except for possibly, I think there's one called Hamburger Boy. I don't know how often that one comes up, but uh, yeah, if I was doing a tier list for the fool, man. Um, I mean, Quail Man is the most memorable. I think it was his one that stuck out the most. He had like the belt on the head and and then the underwear out but I mean, I like Smash Adams just because I like James Bond. The Durango Doug theme is really good. And I like Cowboys a lot, too. 
Race Canyon, you know, a little bit more of like an Indiana Jones type of vibe. Um, I, I, I mean, I kind of like all of them, but I will say that Quail Man would be the one that I remembered. So, like, if you had asked me before this episode, you know, what are Doug's alter egos? That's the one I would have remembered first. So it's definitely the one that made the most impression. All right, so... Is the chameleon on the right trail here? Well, what happens is, you know, we go back into a chameleon sequence. I hated to see this kid's heart broken. Her beatball practice trashed by some small-time hood. Luckily, she turned to me. The chameleon, master of disguise, feared by criminals everywhere. I decided I was going to find out who took BB's radio. In fact, I already had an idea who might have taken Clearly, you know, he thinks that Roger is the robber. We get a little bit of a scene of Doug chasing Roger while Doug is disguised as a locker. And so he's running after him. Roger eventually gets onto a bike and he crashes it where Doug is then able to unmask him. And we do see, in fact, that this robber is Roger. But this is just a fantasy. This is not the real life situation. We go back to the real world and we cut to Roger laughing and saying, <laughs> great. Now you losers can keep me company in detention this afternoon. We cut from the classroom to go to the playground and Doug is talking to Skeeter. Skeeter of course is his best friend. Skeeter says, Oh, I mean, how could he have done it from inside the principal's office? Remember, he was in the principal's office yesterday, all day. And we also find out that the reason for this had something to do with water balloons. Doug then goes to talk to BB directly. And so she is sitting on the bleachers. She has a butler waiting on her at the bleachers. BB just says that her dad is overreacting and that there are worse things than detention, like a bad haircut, for instance. So not to worry about it. Doug then suddenly switches into his chameleon voice, and he starts talking to B.B. again. But this time he asks a question, and he asks who sits behind her in class. And she says, Boomer, of course. We find out that this is Boomer Bledsoe. Doug tells us in his chameleon narration that he is long on talk, short on brains. We then cut to a scene of Doug following him, disguised as a coat rack. But Boomer notices him immediately. Doug! Oh, uh, hey, Boomer. Hey, man, if you're gonna follow me, can you at least help me carry some of my stuff? He was either very crafty or very stupid. Either way, I decided to play along. Uh, sure, Boomer. While Doug goes over to help him, he sees a piece of the radio that is broken off and is lying in the hallway. So, Doug asks Boomer... Who has Locker 164? And Boomer says he doesn't know, but it's next to Skeeter's, so he should know. Boomer then drops all of his stuff on the ground as Doug sprints away from him to go find Skeeter. Uh, he does find him in the shop area of the school, and Skeeter is simply sitting at this table, and he has the radio right next to him. Doug is taken aback, and he backs up out of the room without saying a word to Skeeter, and he can't believe that Skeeter stole the radio. 
We go into another fantasy scene uh, where Skeeter is in a train station. I need a bus ticket. Why to where, young man? Well, how far can I get on this? Elm Street. <laughs> I'll take it. He only has a little bit, so it's just down the next street, basically. And he buys this train ticket, and he goes and sits down in a seat that has a little note on it that says, Reserved for Skeeter. But it turns out that the seat is actually dug in disguise. He pops out from this sort of chair costume. Well, he's still in it, but he, his arms pop out, and he's able to sort of wrestle Skeeter into submission. Uh, Porkchop is disguised as the footstool. He's helping Doug wrestle Skeeter here. As Skeeter ends up getting cuffed, and the fantasy ends with him begging Doug to let him go. You can't do it to me, man! You can't turn in your best friend! It's a rule! <laughs> But could I really turn in Skeeter? I waited for him outside of class. Hey, Doug! (laughs) He catches up with Skeeter outside, and he tries to sort of hypothetically ask Skeeter, if you had a friend who did this, what would you say to them? What would you do? But Skeeter is completely confused, has no idea what Doug's talking about, and he simply rushes off to class, leaving Doug unsure of what he should do now that his best friend is a thief. I love that scene with Boomer because he goes to investigate and he's hiding in a coat rack and he, he's like, Boomer's going to go back to his locker with the radio. He must either be crafty or stupid to do that. And then they <laughs> see, you see Doug just sitting there with, like literally in an empty hallway in, within a coat rack. And Boomer's like, Hey Doug, what are you doing here? <laughs> Yeah, it's the best thing because he's not he's not the chameleon. He's just Doug, and he's just, like, using a coat rack as a disguise. Like, he uses all these wacky, insane disguises in his fantasies. Then he uses one in real life, and he's immediately spotted, which I think is pretty funny. And, and he, he claims that Boomer is the one who is short on brains. I'm not so sure that's the case. I guess that's why they call it a fantasy, you know, one of Doug's fantasies. Speaking of fantasies... Having a butler drop off food to your school, I'm honestly a little bit critical of BB here to have the ability for a butler to drop food off and he puts a sandwich on a plate. I mean, I'm thinking with that kind of money, you know, my wife and I went to Positano in Italy on our honeymoon. I'm thinking fly in some pasta from Positano. I'm thinking at least Taco Bell, right? I mean, get something good. You're getting I was going to say Taco Bell. Yeah, get that Taco (laughs) Bell over there, man. I mean, come on. There's got to be one near the school. There's one everywhere. So get it over there. I mean, if you're rich, go all in, man. That's what I would do. I'm with you. I mean, this is 1992 Taco Bell. So, I mean, you're talking some low prices probably. I mean, I bet there's some really great value menu stuff on there. I mean, you've got the old design before they tried to make everything look like the future, which apparently is what every restaurant does now. Like McDonald's looks like it's like a business, (laughs) like rather than like a toy like a, a kid's play place, you know what I mean? It's like everything, you know, is like so straight-laced. It's like it's like you're walking into like a Starbucks or something, you know, or a coffee shop when you go into, into McDonald's now. And, you know, that's another thing, totally off topic, but like what is going on with the aesthetics, uh, like the design these days, you know? I, I'm not a fan. I, I like the old school. I have no idea. It's just massive windows, very modern and sleek. I, in general, hate that style, even in homes, just like 
open and tons of natural light and stuff like that. Bring in the character, bring in the fun, bring in the good stuff. I mean, it feels like an office space to me. And if I, if I were going to work at like Facebook or something, that's what I would expect to go. And it's like, I'm getting Wendy's there where I'm getting McDonald's. Like, what are you doing here? No, no. I like, and, and, and regarding the homes, I mean, you know, if you watch any of these home shows, like on, you know, HGTV or whatever, watching some property brothers or some love it or list it or some hometown. And they always do the same thing where they do open concept. It's always open concept. Everybody wants open concept. You have people looking for houses and they're like, it's got to be open concept. Where's the open concept? I don't get it. I actually saw an article um, because I've been saying that my wife and I have been saying this for years that eventually it's going to come back around and and then people are going to be building walls instead of having open concept. They're going to be like, we got to build walls here. You know, and we just saw in this magazine, we, our um, realtor that we got this, you know, helped us buy our current house. She puts out or at least like sponsors like a home magazine and like we get a copy of it every so often. And there was an article in there about how people are looking to have walls, how they, how they don't want open concept anymore. Because I was never a fan of open concept because if I'm in my living room, I want to be comfy in the living room. I don't want to be looking at the kitchen and thinking about, I need to cook something. You know what I mean? Like, it's just where, like, let's, let's have spaces designated for certain activities. Great selection of design shows, by the way, very, I I see you're a man of culture as well, but the whole point is they, they want to create a certain vibe based on a room, but they have one single room. Every room in our, in a house, in my house has a different vibe to it in terms of what I want to do. I want to play a board game. It's this room. I want to watch TV. It's this room. I want to play a video game. It's this room. Each room has a different purpose. And having that open concept, it's terrible. You just basically, and these homes are massive. The ones that use these open concepts, you could literally fit six rooms in this space. And they just put couches and they put these random shelving units up and random cabinets and stuff trying to create pseudo walls, but not actual walls. And they're like, look at this, the way the couch or the way the table makes this look like two different rooms, just put a wall up and you you have it solved. But the first thing I do is try to knock it down. I don't understand if the room is big enough to be serviceable, cut it. 100%. Um, I've got to say, love it or listed is my favorite of the HGTV shows. I'm with you. Every single room in my house has like a separate purpose. Like the room I'm in right now where I record this, it's the office room. We use it for our desks, our computers, all that kind of stuff, you know, and then, you know, I have a separate spaces. I live in a ranch house. So I have like a, I only have like a two bedroom upstairs, but I have a whole like furnished basement. That's the same size as the upstairs. So like down there, I have like a whole room that's like a guest room. I have a room that's like a a video game area. I have another room that is books and um, like a reading chair and bookcases. And like, so everything's delineated. And I feel like that's like a lot more fun too. I mean, you always want to be in the same room. Don't you get tired of that? I'm not, I don't get it. It's also a privacy issue too. You know, the fact that you can kind of enclose yourself in an area, not necessarily with even a door, but just having wall space. So, you know, while someone's cooking, they're not staring directly at what you're doing. 
I don't understand how this is acceptable. And it never was for me. And so anywhere I've gone, I've tried to find places with rooms. And I, I hope you're right. I think you're right. Because I, I can't imagine blowing out my walls right now with just one open concept. It makes no sense. Even the flooring. I mean, carpet versus tile, completely different experience, man. Your lighting. Do you want a lot of natural light? Do you want a little bit of natural light? Got to change it with the walls. I'm glad we tackled that because, like, I mean, I know that's why the listeners tune into this podcast to hear our like our home design uh, tips and and everything. But uh, yeah, word to the wise, you know that's that's what I hear. I think that open concept is going away. We'll see what happens. I mean, while we're doing it, I'll just go all in here. I also don't like in the design shows that every single thing is white and then black. Like I, it's just, it's so boring to me. Everyone's like, Ooh, the ranch vibe, not a fan. I want color. I want brick. I want red brick. I want dark colors. I hate the just white and black. And they do, you know, Joanna Gaines. It's the same design. Every time they blow everything out, modernize it, massive light, white walls with black X, Y, or Z black shelving black. It's just, and then they put random pillows everywhere and, that, you know, that's, that's a different debate. We have that in our own house, but I just, I, I, we, we recently got a bunch of the pillows off of our couch because we used to have a bunch on there. And then we realized without the pillows, it feels so much bigger and looks way bigger and you have more usable space. You know what I mean? So, uh, but I, I think that the, um, the thing with like a lot of those shows, they, like you just said, they do the same design and and everything you said plus they always are like oh we're gonna put double vanity double sink in the bathroom we're gonna do a big walk-in shower we're gonna do in the kitchen right it's always like oh we need new cabinetry and we need like a big range and like a like an island they always want an island they always want these giant islands i do not even have one like I don't even know what I would use one for if I did. I just use the counter space. I don't know. So it's like all around. It's like a sort of a copy and paste design. Yeah, and it's funny because they go through all this analysis. They're like, we're going to blah, 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 blah. And then they do it and it's the same thing. They do 45 <laughs> minutes of explaining right. how they want to do X, Y, or Z to bring out X, Y, or Z because that's what the couple wants. And it's the same design every time. <laughs> every time. I know. Oh, man. Go- going back to the actual <laughs> episode of Dog oh, Here. We're going we'll to go okay. back. I, th- yeah. I thought we were just doing a home uh, like a home podcast at this point. We might be able to Apparently tie it in. Apparently we like, could. We could spin it off. Like, I mean, because we have a lot to say, I guess. We have a lot of opinions. You know, maybe we'll go back and, and watch uh, Home Improvement or something. Maybe maybe that would be oh. more appropriate for this. Or or go I back like and just cover one of, these, one of these shows. I mean, they're old enough, I guess. <laughs> Guys, if you are listening to like an episode that we do that is Home Improvement – and then this conversation is just copy and pasted into the episode. You'll know what happened. <laughs> I'm talking about the actual show, Home Improvement. Oh, yeah, I it's know. With... Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, definitely. Tim the Toolman Taylor, you know. Oh, yeah, you know Good it. Good stuff. Anyway, back to the show. What would you do with the situation if you actually believed that your best friend stole the radio? How do you approach that? Do you try to do this hypothetical thing like Doug tries? Do you just straight up ask them what's going on? Or do you go and turn them in? What do you do? Well, I mean, I took this personal because I, I, of course, was like, 
I was going to ask you the same thing about you and me, not a best friend, you being my best friend. This is the question. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take it from that angle. And so I thought this out about how, how would I handle this? And really it's, it's a multi-step approach for me. The first thing is obviously, I don't want you to get in trouble if you don't have to get in trouble. So I'm not turning you in, but you do have to be contrite. Number one, acknowledge that you made a mistake. And number two, (laughs) if it's feasible, if it's feasible to fix it, other than that, I'm not going to turn you in. I don't want to see you punished. I don't want you to have everlasting issues later down the line, get in trouble, go to detention. You know, that's the last thing that I would want from you. But if, if it's impossible, I'm not, I'm not turning you in, man. It's like, I, 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 I'm not doing that. Yeah. I'm not turning you in either, but I don't even know if I'd require an apology or anything like, or, or contriteness. I guess my only concern would be like, I don't want to have detention. So like if we could hatch a plan to not have detention, I guess that would involve you having to give it back, but that's really all I'd be concerned about. So yeah, I'm willing to let you off the hook here as long as we can get out of detention. Basically I never had detention ever in school and I would not be about to start. So, I mean, that would be my sole concern. So as long as we can get out of that, I'm good. Well, it wouldn't be hard. It doesn't need to be some huge thing. Just literally put the, radio on the floor instead of having a broken piece of it and then a teacher would find it no problem solved i mean it would have been really easy if not for what we learn so we see everyone back in the classroom and the teacher gives the person who took the radio one last chance to return it i'm going to turn off the lights and i want whoever took the radio to put it on my desk And that way, nobody will know who took it. Doug goes to grab the radio. He takes it away from Skeeter, and he's going to put it on the desk because he doesn't want Patty to get detention. But as he's doing this, Roger turns on the lights so that everybody can see what's happening. And everyone sees Doug standing there holding the radio. Before the hammer can be dropped on Doug here, BB comes clean. Oh, I get it. So when your father asked where it was... I knew he'd freak out, so I told him somebody took it. I never thought it would blow up into such a big deal. I'm sorry. So the teacher pretty much says, Hey, it's fine. We're glad that it's over now. Everyone is released from class. No detention. Roger tells Doug that he was about to ask him to join his gang, and it's too bad that he didn't actually steal it. But before Roger can get out of the room, the teacher snatches him back in and says, there's still the little matter of the stinky cheese on the radiator, and he is pulled back into detention. We then see a very brief ending of Patty pitching during her beatball game, and Doug and Skeeter are hanging out together, saying that they feel like they're being followed. We then see a fire hydrant come to life and is chasing after them, but we see Porkchop's tail wagging from the back, so I guess Porkchop is still playing detective. And that is basically the end, and we'll go into Doug's secret song, but let's reflect on the ending. What do you think about BB here and this whole mess that she created? I'm not very sympathetic to BB 
towards the end, but in the beginning I am, I understand panicking and coming up with something to just to not deal with the dad, Mr. Bluff and, and who knows how he is, but obviously I, I get that fear. And in her mind, she tried, you know, during that scene where she's eating her sandwich to say, listen, don't make a big deal out of it. Let it, whatever, you know, it's her radio. If it's stolen and she doesn't care about it, maybe it'll just go away. I get that. But she basically continues to double down. Like it goes to the point where Doug has it in the room with the lights coming off and she doesn't say anything until the very end. And so risking all that, all the trauma that Patty's feeling, making people go through all that they went through at some point, just fess up. Like once you realize it's not going away and they're actually sitting in detention and that's going on, just say, listen, I got to call it quits, but she really doesn't do it until she absolutely has to at the very end here. Yeah, I feel a little bit sympathetic toward her to an extent. I, For me, it's difficult to feel sympathetic toward really rich characters because in my mind, I'm like, well, you have everything. And I spent a lot of time as a kid wishing that I had this or that that we couldn't have. And so the fact that she is being irresponsible with like this expensive radio and everything. And then she's willing to let everyone kind of sweat that they're going to have detention because of it. Not great, but you know, we don't really know. I mean, obviously her father is not easy to live with. So I have some degree of sympathy because that cannot be fun. So, I mean, you know, there's a little bit on both ends here. The interesting thing though here is that, the chameleon, total failure. I mean, at first he suspects Roger, it's not Roger. Then he's convinced that it's Skeeter, it's not Skeeter. He never actually figures it out. It's it's only at the end that BB reveals what happened. Yeah, well, we know he's not exactly... I mean, I think even when he's investigating Skeeter, it's like clearly a Pomac shop that he's in doing it. So he doesn't you know, put two and two together. It's, it's interesting you had mentioned about talk about the effects of what this could mean and and bb being rich and she's basically bulletproof i mean she's going to get whatever she wants be wherever she does and then it just jolted a ton of memories and then a story i didn't otherwise plan to talk about but i'm going to now because i'm thinking about patty here making it to beatball practice i mean that might be her key to getting a scholarship later down the line it, who knows the impact that's going to have getting into a, a certain high school her impact on the team etc it may stop her from being a starter who knows the effects of that? And but BB's bulletproof, and it, it you know it took me back to like what a lie can really do in a situation like this. And it took me back around the same grade. We went to Washington D.C. and basically we were told not to mess with laser pointers. That was like one of the rules. And turns out the, the kids in my room, we all got laser pointers, and we were like having a little light show. One of the kids we were kind of messing around with the laser pointers, wrestling. One of the kids flew off the bed and hit his neck on a chair or something. It was completely dark, so we had no idea what was going on. All we know is he was saying, I can't breathe, like I'm having a hard time breathing. And we freaked out. We called the, you know, we had to call a teacher, call 911, hospital visit, ambulance came. We were deep in the water. I mean, we were so messed. You know, we were basically you know, prevented from doing anything else the rest of the trip. But obviously the drive meant we couldn't just be sent home, but we would. And then when we got to school, that's what they would talk about suspensions, detentions or whatever, just for playing with the laser pointers. And so I did get a detention. I had to get a note from my mom and stuff like that. So that's my blemish 
on my mark. And the whole time, it's just like, I, it just didn't connect with me. We were just playing with laser pointers and for him to act in that, it just something didn't seem right. Well, he played football and he suffered a multiple concussions and turns out no joke. Three, four years later from this event, he's telling a story amongst a group of friends about that event, not remembering who was part of it. And he says he faked the whole thing. He faked what? the entire injury. He faked the hospital visit. Who does I, that? Dude, I have no idea. And I just, I was speechless. He had no idea it was me. I didn't tell him, but I couldn't believe that he was admitting that he had faked the entire thing. Wow. And that was, that was a big scare in my life. And so I just, I was immediately drawn into that story thinking of, man, BB really could have messed with these kids' lives in some tangible way. Wow, man, who does that? Like, what kind of issues do you have that you fake something like that so that you get taken to the hospital in an ambulance? I mean, oh, and can you imagine how expensive that must have been? That hospital ride, you know, and everything and, and the stay? Oh, man, that's that's pretty deep. I mean, that's rough. And yeah, I mean, the kid, he was messed up. And but I, I was friends with him growing up and stuff. And, you know, even his, like, honestly, the hardest part was his dad. You know, his dad was such a nice guy. And just to see the fact that he had to deal with it and, and talking to him and apologizing and all that stuff was just it was so awful and heart wrenching. And just knowing that it was just fake for attention or just to watch the world burn. I don't know. But that was just Oh, it was, it was gut wrenching. And so just a prank, bro. Hey man, just a prank. Yeah. Right. Uh, we've been all over pranks before. I mean, yeah, you, we are not fans. Um, that sucks. Cause it was your only blemish too. That's uh, man. And you didn't say anything to him at all. You just let it go. Yeah. Cause I was just so, I didn't even know what to say to that. I didn't even know what to say to that. And I, I didn't want him to remember it was me because then he, you know, he might say X, Y, or Z about it. Who knows? And I was just, pretended I didn't hear. I don't, I also didn't want to have that conversation in a group of people that he had faked it and impacted several kids' lives negatively. Thankfully, nothing permanent or drastic, but I felt terrible. I mean, I felt absolutely horrible that in some way we were responsible for him. And again, not really. I mean, he like threw himself into a chair. I didn't believe that for a second that, you know, oh, a laser pointer hit him in the eye and he threw himself into a chair or whatever, but it, it made more sense that it was just fake. And I just, yeah, I didn't want to reopen those wounds at that moment, but oof, just terrible trauma there. Uh, well, at least for Doug, he succeeds sort of in getting Patty to be able to play her game here. And Patty is his whole reason for, for all of this really. And Patty is going to be very central in the next story. Because she is his crush, and so he is always pining after Patty, but he never wants to tell her how he feels. And so in Doug's secret song, we're going to see that he does have sort of an outlet for these feelings. It is not actually talking to her, but instead through music. And we know that you are a big fan of music. We know that it was your dream to be a singer. You had the... uh, karaoke machine that we talked about before with the intention of sending away a tape like a demo tape that you would record off of there so Doug's secret song I mean did that sort of connect with you just the idea of him creating this outlet through his music 
Yeah. And I wish we had the recording stuff at the time that I could have used because I would have done it and it would have been so nerdy and terrible, but I would have loved doing it. And of course, I mean, Doug, when he originally does this, though it is about his secret song, he originally has aspirations to be a singer. He doesn't originally want to record this song because he's very obviously nervous about it, a little bit embarrassed because it's kind of pouring his heart out to Patty. And so he originally goes in the first place here just because he wants to record a song. He has his aspirations on his banjo. And really, that's how this episode opens. I mean, it opens with Doug sitting under a tree, strumming on his banjo with Porkchop next to him. Well, I'm not much of a songwriter, but when I'm thinking about Patty, well, sometimes a song just comes out. Patty, you're the pickle on my coleslaw. Patty, you're the sugar in my tea. Patty, you're the relish on my hot dog. And Patty, you're the mayonnaise for me. Whoa, whoa, this whoa. is part of the song. We'll hear other parts of the song later on in this episode. But he called it a secret song because no one else would hear it but him. And it's at that moment that Skeeter comes in. Love the whoa, 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 whoa. Kind of teasing Doug a little bit about the song. And then as Doug hears Skeeter singing this, he's kind of holding his ears, trying to drown it out. And then we go into the intro, or at least the second intro to this episode, Doug and his secret song. It's worth pointing out, if you don't remember, that Patty's last name is Mayonnaise. So that's sort of like the reason that he's singing about all these foods and condiments and whatnot. Uh, it's sort of related to that. And while Doug is is strumming along and singing, Porkchop is covering his ears <laughs> as he's sort of like doing his song, which I thought was pretty funny. If it's not clear, because I don't think I mentioned this in the first part, Porkchop is Doug's dog. It's his pet dog. And he's his sidekick. He's always around. And so if you keep your eye on him, he has funny little reactions to stuff sometimes. As far as Skeeter hearing the song, I could, like, feel the embarrassment for Doug here. Like, it was cringeworthy to imagine if you had something like that that was meant to be private and having someone not just hear it, but then, like, singing it out loud like that. It was just devastating. And it reminded me that quite a lot of Doug, we didn't really get it as much in the first story, but one thing that I really remember from Doug is large amounts of, like, embarrassment and anxiety. It seems like that's a staple of a lot of these stories. He has sort of, like, power fantasies where he's a superhero like Whaleman, but he also has these other fantasies where he's being embarrassed, mocked, everything's gone wrong. Middle school anxiety, I feel like, is a big part of Doug in general, and you get a lot of that in this episode. Yeah, and I connect with that. I mean, I did record on tape for Jive Records, as you're aware of, but no one was supposed to hear that. I mean, that <laughs> would have been embarrassed no. if someone actually heard that. I mean, I think I maybe sang a song to a fellow band member, if you will, one time over the phone, and that might have been it. So even though you're, you may be singing songs and writing songs, the idea of someone else hearing it, really hard. I mean, even just with the podcast, especially starting voice wise, you know, it's kind of, there is that little bit of nerves, but especially if you're pouring your heart and soul out here, like Doug is, you got to be a little bit nervous about it. And I think that, and that's kind of like twofold. I think obviously pork chop holds his ears and, you know, Skeeter reacts the way that he does. And then Doug himself, when Skeeter's singing it reacts a certain way 
everyone's got a feeling about the song. I think it's part that it's just bad and the perfect word cringe. I think part of it's also, why are you doing this, Doug? You got to have more self-respect. Like it's just cringe. So the fact that Doug himself is covering his ears makes me wonder just how cringeworthy this is for Doug. But hey, man, it's how he feels. I think that it's a good, um, a good outlet for him. But he's singing it in public. Like he's outside sitting by a tree. And like, I mean, obviously, like people can hear you. So maybe not the best place to perform. That's all I'm saying. That's a really good point I didn't think about. <laughs> like literally a public park. I think it's even yes. by a road. Like Yes. <laughs> uh, well, he's not chameleon in this, so that, that might be why. That might be. The other part of it is it could have just been impromptu. It could have been impulsive. You know, he said sometimes he just thinks of Patty and has to sing songs. And, you know, us Casanovas have to do this. Now, you know, Matt obviously is well aware of my wife and I's beginning, but we basically started dating my senior year, like the very end of when I was leaving is when we started talking. We didn't start dating until my first year in law school. And so a lot of the time we were long distance and needless to say, certain songs had to be made to keep keep the magic going while we were apart. And so in particular, videos over Facebook were sent and we used a thing called Skype, which for whatever reason has been able to be rebranded as an entire company in Zoom, where we're, we're shocked that people can do video talk. But I left videos for my wife too, in particular songs that I sang for her, Hey Juliet by LMNT. And I did a remix of Bruno Mars's song, Beautiful Girls, called Less Beautiful Girls, in which, of course, I indicate that all these other girls are less beautiful than my wife. So I connected with Doug here about you know singing romantic songs, and obviously that's the sole reason she married me. So Doug, best of luck to you here in this episode. Certainly your song will win Patty over. Sounds like Doug's on the right track, because we have proof that this is how you do it. So yeah, um, I'm excited to see where Doug goes with this song. I'm sure that by the end of the episode, he will serenade Patty with it, because that's obviously where this is headed. Your word choice there was perfect, and it leads into this next point about her name. Like, you had mentioned mayonnaise. You're talking about serenading Patty. Her first name honestly messes with me a lot because I'm thinking of a burger, Patty. And I, I think they just focus so much on the mayonnaise. So it's like messing with me. I'm like trying to do the the burger metaphor here of you're the sugar in my tea and you're the relish on my hot dog. And I'm like, you're she's a burger. Like she's a burger. There's mayonnaise on the burger. Like we should be talking about lettuce and tomato and onion, right? It just messes with me that her name also happens to be Patty. And I just, I can't get that thought out of my mind here the whole time. I mean, you know what? Like a lot of major pop artists have a lot of their music written for them by music producers. I feel like you need to be that guy. You need to be writing for Doug. I think the song's well done, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure because some of the song, especially in the second part of it, meshes with a hamburger and like you would have a hot dog with a hamburger. So it kind of connects. It's just... I, I probably would be way too thick on the burger metaphor. I'd probably go way too hard in doing it. <laughs> I think that I think no, I think that's what you need. I think that the burger metaphor is where you can really get the point home. So I mean, I would like to hear your version of this song. I think that it, it would probably take it to the next level. I mean, with what Doug has, maybe he tops the top 100 but you would take it straight to number one 
So after the song's revealed to Skeeter, Doug makes Skeeter promise not to tell anyone about the song. Skeeter says that he gets it, he gets it, and he won't tell anybody. He then starts singing the song, mocking Doug, and Doug's pretty visibly upset about this. While they're walking together, they hear someone singing horribly. What's that? It's Mr. Dink. Sounds like he's hurt. Into your arms I fall tenderly. It's a video. It turns out it's Doug's neighbor, Mr. Dink. They go to Mr. Dink's house and learn that he had made a music video in a karaoke recording studio in the mall, to which Skeeter says that he just thought Mr. Dink was dying. Mr. Dink fails to hear this from Skeeter, and so Doug kind of corrects him, saying that they were dying to hear the song. Mr. Dink says that it was inexpensive to make the video and that maybe this could be Doug's big break. Doug then repeats big break, and he starts having a vision, a delusion of grandeur, if you will, of him being very popular. He's shirtless, wearing a backwards hat and sunglasses. He's super cool, Doug, here. And he's in this rap video. He's got the girls, Patty, Bibi, and Connie, all singing his praises. And he's living his best life, believing him to be this superstar. After this vision, Doug and Skeeter head over to Video Goofball, in the mall. That's the name of the store in order to record this music video. Skeeter suggests that Doug sing his love song, but Doug scoffs at the idea. He's not going to sing that whatsoever. He's got other songs he wants to sing. As they walk into the booth, we can see vaguely Patty Manny's shadow singing what we know to be Killer Tofu, and Mr. Bone, the assistant principal, is also entering a booth in order to sing a song. Skeeter and Doug seem to know that he will yodel. Doug, Skeeter, and Porkchop then all enter the karaoke studio. Okay, this is it. Uh, You're not nervous, are you, Doug? (laughs) Nervous? I mean, if I were in your shoes, I'd probably get the hiccups or forget all my words or something. (laughs) Skeeter, don't give me any ideas. Sorry, man, I take it back. You won't get the hiccups, you won't forget your words. You ready? I I forgot all the the words. But his booth starts recording on a countdown. He has to start singing. He has to start performing. He has no choice. He ends up forgetting all the words from all the songs that he knows, except one. Patty, you the ketchup on my it fries. Patty, you the ice in my Patty, you the mustard on my witch. Patty, you the in my coleslaw. They all leave the recording studio and Doug ends up going to the front counter in order to get his video. Doug states that the video was a disaster and that he's going to erase it as soon as he gets home. While he and Skeeter are talking about the video, guess who shows up behind him? None other than Patty Mayonnaise. She appears right behind him and she grabs her video, noting that she will be taking her recording to BB's house because the girls are going to have an up all night party. Doug and Skeeter were nervous that Patty would overhear them talking about the song and so they're glad to escape the encounter. Patty cannot know that Doug made the song. We also see Mr. Bone leaving his booth to grab his video as well. It's, again, like so much cringe, like with Doug singing the song and then on top of that, like doing the hiccups at the same time. Just absolutely devastating. But I've got to say one sweet little moment from this whole debacle is that when he's in the recording studio and he's actually doing his performance he can see himself on the screen because there's like a screen in front of him so he can see the recording as it's happening 
if you pay attention to pork chop, he licks the screen like with Doug's face on it. He stands up, puts his paws on the screen and then like does a big lick over Doug's face. So I thought that was really sweet and I, I was glad to see that. Porkchop has a lot of good stuff in this episode, so that was something that was brilliant. And while he's recording the song, Porkchop is actually howling along with him while he's doing the singing, so it adds a whole other layer to the whole performance. I loved it. So glad you picked up on that. Yeah, Porkchop's huge here, and I guess that's the benefit of a dog. I mean, compared to his best friend Skeeter, he's nervous about Skeeter. He's making Skeeter promise not to say anything. Porkchop, he doesn't have to worry about that. He's basically an extension of himself, and Porkchop's just going to support him no matter what. And so he loves the song. He's looking at him, and you know, for all intents and purposes, he may have been trying to calm him down from the hiccups and the sweat and whatnot. And so that's what he was instinctively going to do. It's kind of like a support animal in that moment, and he's just really supportive. And the fact that he's in the booth is a testament to how important he is in this moment. Yeah, man, Doug definitely could use a support animal uh, because... His anxiety levels are through the roof this whole time. And, of course, Skeeter is sort of like, he's not doing it on purpose, but he's causing all these problems the whole way through the episode because first he overhears him, then he won't stop singing the song, and then he makes him nervous when he's in the booth, which would not have happened had Skeeter not been there. So, I mean, Skeeter just totally wrecking stuff in this episode. He kind of jinxes it because he mentions basically that, oh, you know, hopefully you don't get hiccups when you sing. And then lo and behold, boom, they start coming. And yeah, Skeeter no good here. And in general, again, I, I completely understand the, the, the idea of being nervous around people when you sing because you're putting yourself out there and then you get judged and you have all these nerves and stuff. And I got to look at Mr. Dink here. And Mr. Dink, he's a middle-aged man. He's obviously... He's probably a grandpa. You know, that's kind of how I saw him. And here he is. He went to the mall to make music. And again, he's not very good at what he's singing, but my heart just dropped because Mr. Dink's wife, when Doug tries doing cover. Uh, he said we were dying to hear your song, Mr. Dink. Right the first time, boys. Mrs. Dink says you were right the first time about (laughs) thinking that he was dying, that Mr. Dink was dying. And I just just know he's trying to put his heart and soul out into a passion of his. And here's his wife dropping him down, like singing to me. I'm not a good singer, but around our house, I'm always singing. I know growing up, we were always singing. It's just, there's something about singing. You're exuding energy, you're exuding happiness and just having a good time. And the last thing you want to hear is, oh, your singing's not good. I mean, I don't think go to a wedding when everyone's celebrating and shouting, you know, don't stop believing at the top of their lungs. It's not about the quality of the song. It's just there's so much more to it. And so to have someone try to bring that joy and energy or whatever they're bringing to bring them down like that. I mean, if I'm Mr. Dink here, my heart's destroyed. You know, I just imagine someone saying something like that about the podcast and it's just it would be gut wrenching knowing you put all that time and effort into something and just in one sentence it goes away. And this isn't even about quality of anything. It's just about be supportive of the people that you love and don't bring them down, especially if they're happy and excited about something. Let him sing his songs. Maybe he'll get better at it. Maybe he'll say, eh, I don't want to do it anymore. But to me, she was kind of a a villainous character here. And I honestly don't remember much about her character. I remembered Mr. Dink. So I'm not sure if this is a common theme we'll see in subsequent episodes, but she just F for her in this, in this episode. (laughs) yeah i mean she i think she's sort of like a 
in a lot of sitcoms, you have this dynamic where there's like this sort of couple where the the one the one person will sort of undercut the other, and they have this sort of um, almost like acrimonious back and forth there. Which, you know, in real life, I would not enjoy. In, in the context of the cartoon, I thought it was pretty a funny, like, a uh, little aside. But, yeah, you don't want people doing that in real life. If anyone said anything negative about the podcast, I mean, they'd clearly be, like, objectively, mathematically incorrect. So I wouldn't probably take it too seriously because... It's something that, you know, they've clearly lost their mind is, is all I can say. I mean, what could you criticize? The only thing I would criticize is my even bringing up the possibility that somebody could criticize the show. And that was my mistake. I apologize for that. Yeah, I mean, we shouldn't even, I mean, you know, that's just absurd. You know, we shouldn't even entertain the notion. You know, this is a nonfiction podcast, you know. I mean, we might cover fictional works, but we're giving our real honest opinions. So... That's just simply not going to happen. Well, opinions that are objectively correct. That's that's what's correct. important to remember. Yes. I will say in this iteration of the song, I'm kind of seeing it now. I'm kind of getting the vibe because the additions here, are we have ketchup on fries. We have ice and tea. We have mustard on the sandwich. I'm kind of getting the vibe that, you know, I wasn't really getting with, you know, the, the coleslaw and the pickle and whatnot. I'm kind of getting some good summer vibes. So it seems like generally like I'm, I can picture the picnic with the grill and stuff. So I think that, I think this edition of the lyrics makes the song a lot better in my mind, writing wise. And so maybe I jumped the gun a little bit on Patty kind of messing me up. Cause now the hamburger makes a lot more sense in this context. Yeah. These lyrics are way better. I guess he must've employed one of those like Swedish hit makers that wrote like all of the, pop music back in the day because it sounds like he's starting to kick up his game here i like this sort of imagery a lot better than what we got initially especially because i'm not really a hot dog guy so like the whole relish thing it didn't work for me i love pickles but not sweet relish or sweet pickles they have to be the sour variety i just hope that the ketchup he's referring to is heinz not hunt's I don't need to explain that, I'm sure. It goes without saying. I don't even know of a different brand. I think it's just Heinz. Interesting you're not a hot dog guy and not a relish guy. Now, my wife always would use relish, and I never would because it just it just seemed weird to me. And But that's typically with like ballpark dogs where you're paying big money. Since I've been going to Costco and getting the hot dogs... I mean, those things, they just like give them out for free, basically, with inflation. And so I felt more able to take risks. Not bad. I, I still go basically like two hot dogs, my standard with like mustard and ketchup. But I can throw in a third with relish because why not? I mean, it's a different flavor, different experience, but I'm not ruining my go-to. And so I'm fine experimenting with that. Well, my stance on hot dogs relates primarily to the texture. I don't like how squishy they are. It just freaks me out. And I just don't like the sweet relish. I don't know why, but I do like veggie dogs, though. They have a very different texture to them. And I get them, uh, especially from Ikea, because they sell like hot dogs and veggie dogs at Ikea. And you can get them in the little snack bar. But they also sell them in the frozen area at the end. You can get them to take home. So you can get like bags of them 
but again, they're totally different than your standard like meat based dogs that you'd be having. So I never liked those. Like even when I was a kid, I just couldn't wrap my head around the texture of it. Yeah, it's weird. Texture's a thing. I mean, my wife feels that way about some chicken. Like she can't just eat certain chicken unless it's really crispy because it just freaks her out. I've never had that issue. And for me, I actually kind of like the crunch. It kind of is like a sausage or kielbasa vibe. And in terms of the hot dog, I mean, I deal hot dog. It, you almost don't even taste any of the meat. I mean, I put chili on it. Give me chili, onion, cheese, mustard, ketchup. You could even throw egg on it. There was a restaurant that just did hot dogs and I would throw egg on my hot dogs. <laughs> I just, it's something about it. It's kind of like nacho. Like I've treated it like a nacho where I just kind of, you can kind of throw whatever you want on it outside of just the ketchup and mustard. So from here, we go to Skeeter and Doug going back to Doug's place to hang out. Skeeter wants to watch the video. Doug refuses to do so. Unfortunately, when Skeeter goes to put the tape in the VHS player, what ends up playing is not Doug's video, but it's Panty Mayonnaise, and she's singing Killer Tofu. Gee, you sure look different on TV, Doug. Oh, no. Gave me Patty's video by mistake. Huh? Then whose did she get? The panic begins. Doug Skeeter and Porkchop end up hopping on their bikes and immediately going to solve this issue. You know it's intense because they have the instrumental of Shout Your Lungs Out. Doug, this isn't the way to Patty's house. We're not going to Patty's. We're going to Phoebe's. She's having an up-all-night party! Yeah, and if they see my tape, it's going to be an up-all-night-and-laugh-at-Doug party. At this point, we then cut to one of Doug's visions. All the girls at the party are laughing at him, watching the video. Doug then comes out of the TV, saying, You're not supposed to be seeing this. It's his secret song. He then tries to turn off the TV or change the channel, but nothing works. He's on every channel, and he's stuck in the TV, living with this humiliation. We leave the vision and cut to Doug and Skeeter finally arriving at BB's house. Doug rings the doorbell, but the butler won't let him in because no boys are allowed. Doug decides he needs to sneak in to change the tapes. It's at this point that Porkchop has an idea. He points them to a different door. That door has a doggy door, one of those little flaps that a dog can fit through. And so Porkchop has orchestrated a plan. He's going to go through the doggy door and get the tape. Now, Doug acts like it's his plan. It really was Porkchop's. But Porkchop's going to go sneak in through this house, grab the tape, and leave. That's the mission. And it really is a mission. He's sneaking around, going through the hallways. They have portraits of their family, fortune just lying around. Obviously, the bluff lineage is very important to them. And you get this kind of Mission Impossible music. It sounds a little bit different, but it is Mission Impossible music as Porkchop goes on his mission here. Eventually, Porkchop reaches the room and he sees the girls playing limbo and singing. He sees the tape on top of the TV, but it's too high for him to reach. The only way Porkchop can reach the TV is via a stack of VHS tapes that are malaligned. They're not straight up, so they're kind of teetering back and forth. As Porkchop steps on the stack of VHS tapes, unfortunately, his weight brings him down. He falls, the VHS tapes collapse, and the girls are made aware of his presence. They turn around and scream at the top of their lungs, 
They're freaking out about this. Doug then hears the screams. <gasps> What's that? It's Porkchop. Oh, no. Come on, Skeet. And he fears that Porkchop was discovered, and he's worried about Porkchop. He's afraid that Porkchop is going to be captured for breaking in here. Doug then has another vision. This is of Porkchop being captured. He's chained to this throne-like chair. He's in shackles. And he has this device on the top of his head, kind of like an electric chair type thing on the top of his head. The girls are all dressed in some space age type of uniform, and they demand answers. It's BB doing the interrogation about why Porkchop is there in the first place. What were you doing sneaking into my up all night party? He won't speak, your highness. His allegiance is to another. Silence! He knows the rules. No boys allowed. Porkchop refuses to answer, refuses to reveal his secrets. Bibi then dangles ice cream in front of Porkchop, and Porkchop starts licking his lips, getting really excited about it. But then he refuses again. He shakes his head no. Porkchop is not saying a word. And that ends the vision. We have Porkchop potentially captured by the girls with a mission failure. Man, a lot to talk about here. This is some prime. When they're riding on their bikes, Porkchop is in the basket on the front of Doug's bike. And he's loving life. His paws are like up in the air and he's just real excited. And he's having a great time. When they get there, like you said, he decides the whole mission on his own. And does an admirable job of trying to pull it off. When they have that little fantasy scene with him being interrogated, when he refuses to react even to the ice cream or anything, Patty in the fantasy says to Bibi, quote, he won't speak your highness. His allegiance is to another. And that was an amazing line. I obviously get warm feelings anytime that there are dogs in anything. And Porkchop here is like S tier. I think he's the best animated dog in a Nickelodeon thing that exists, in my opinion, because he really shows like the real relationship of that sort of connection that you have with the dog. I think he does a great job of that. One funny little note is whenever the girls hear him, because he crashes down from the pile of VHS and they all start to scream. He also starts howling. Like he's also like, like freaked out at the same time, like as of how they scream at him. Then he starts howling because he's like afraid of them screaming at him, which is pretty great. One pork chop uh, unrelated note here. Patty singing killer tofu. I cannot get enough of that song. That song is iconic. And I've never forgotten it my entire life. I don't even like the Beatles. I mean, not that I dislike them, but I'm not like a fan. And whoever wrote Doug, obviously, they love the Beatles because they have this whole band, The Beats, which is basically a take on the Beatles. And these songs, they are just amazing. I'm going to declare this as well. Doug has the best music from any Nickelodeon show running throughout it. I mean, when you consider all of the themes, the anthems, the actual songs that were written for it, all the beats, hits, I mean, it's top tier. Yeah, I mean, these are two huge statements about Porkchop and the beats and the music here in Doug. And 
I think, again, I think it's still early in the podcast to be making these declarations, but I feel like it's going to age well. I mean, I, I honestly, off the top of my head, I agree with you. Pork chop is really well endearing. There's more I want to get into about pork chop at the end, but the music, especially the reason I knew this episode, obviously killer tofu, absolute banger The beats could just, they could do an own soundtrack of Doug and they, they would be great music. The thing I remember most was the limbo song. How low can you go? That was why I knew, remember this episode. That was my trigger. Just something like that with the girls singing it. And I would just, anytime there were a limbo would, would happen. Um, even in college or anytime anyone needs to go low for anything, I would always say, how low can you go? Insert person's name here. And that song, I still do it to this day. How is something so small in an episode so memorable? And how does it continue? I mean, it's crazy, but it's even that was a banger. I remember that too. I remember that too. I, I never used it like outside of the episode, but as soon as they did it, I remembered it. Especially it's kind of like the the tone in which they do it. It's a little bit weird, not in a bad way, because they're like, how low can you go? BB, how low can you go? BB. It's something about the way they say her name. It kind of stuck in my head. So yeah, I'm with you. So Doug's obviously in a panic here, worrying about pork chop, afraid as to what happened to him. Doug and Skeeter then decide to climb up a trellis in order to get to the top of a window. It's one of those fences against a wall with vines and whatnot. And so they're climbing up to kind of see what's going to happen. Doug peers in the window and he sees pork chop limboing with the girls. And he's got this whole outfit on. He has his maracas. He's shaking it. He's having a great time with the girls here. BB then demands another song in order to continue to see pork chop dance because she loves it so much. To which Patty comes in and she recommends her tape, which is also technically a song because she's singing Killer Tofu. Porkchop at this point realizes what that means and he starts to feel guilty about it. Porkchop at this point kind of goes into emergency mode and as Patty hits play on the video on the VHS player, Porkchop turns it off. So they're going back and forth, back and forth with Porkchop refusing to let this play as he turns it off. And Patty's just wondering, why are you doing this? We're going to watch this video. What's going on here? BB then says, listen, Porkchop, we're watching the video. She grabs him and it's over. The tape's going to play here. Doug sees this and he is just completely destroyed. He looks away, believing his life is over. And the tape plays. Hey, Doug! Is it over? Are they still laughing? Has my life as I know it come to an end? Look! Lo and behold, it's Mr. Bones' yodeling video that plays. Doug lives another day here. At this point, though, the question then remains, where did his video go? If Mr. Bones' video and Patty's video were in the wrong hands, where did his video go? Well, obviously, it leaves one person. And so we cut to Mr. Bones at a yodeling society event. It's obviously some elite gated area where the elites of yodeling are all gathering together. And Mr. Bones is there to play his yodeling video for everybody. But Doug Funny's music video plays. Patty, you the ketchup on my fries. What? Patty, you the Wait a minute. That's not me. The yodeling society ends up being flabbergasted that he would show them this. They're all offended, and then they leave. 
And the last scene we have here is a cut to Doug. He's back under his tree with Porkchop, like he was in the beginning, and he's singing again. And that ends our episode. Nice misdirection here, uh, having the three-way mix-up instead of just a two-way mix-up. This is just, man, I feel like I'm just luxuriating in these pet moments here because at the very end, like with Doug, it's just this brief little scene, but he's sitting under the tree, he's strumming along, singing, and a pork chop is there with him, and he licks Doug's face, and then Doug pulls him in for a hug, and they both just sort of look at each other real happy, and then the episode ends. And it's just sort of like, man, like I can't even... I have no words for this. It's just the sweetest thing. And I love it. Perfect ending. 10 out of 10. Yeah. Porkchop is just such a complex character here. And so I kind of want to go through kind of his story arc here, especially towards the end. I mean, ultimately he fails in his mission, but really it was his bravery in the first place, his, his idea and his willingness to do it in the first place that I think stands out. And the vision of him rejecting the ice cream, that's Doug's mindset, right? Like, that's what Doug thinks of his dog. So he sees him as loyal, and Porkchop's showing loyalty by going in there in the first place. And yeah, while he may have had better balance on the VHS tapes, it was yeah. it was a doomed mission from the start, because the way the, the VHSs were stacked, it was just an impossibility. And that room is so tiny. I mean, it was a really small room. There's maybe two feet separating Porkchop from the girls, so they would have heard him anyway it really was doomed from the start and while pork chop is dancing they kind of make it seem at least from doug's perspective that pork chop's just having fun but i didn't really see it like that i mean i saw pork chop wearing this outfit with his maracas in my mind he knew the mission was failing and he was just trying to buy time he was trying to delay things so maybe doug could happen you know, this isn't up all night party, but maybe there is a bedtime or maybe they go down for a snack, something like that. Anything to stop that tape from being played, because once Patty brings up the idea and that, that probably came out of left field because he's just thinking another song like he worked the girls to make him make them want him to dance instead of watching a video. Maybe wanted another song and that you would never think that he, they would go to Patty's video. He probably just thought they were going to play another beat song or something like that. No, Patty's the one that kind of ruined everything by just suggesting her video out of nowhere. And you see, you know, Porkchop's face, and then he goes into panic mode with the VHS. So I think this entire time he's loyal, he's calculated, and he's just doing everything he can almost flawlessly to protect Doug here. I agree 100%. I, I think that he knew what he was doing. I will also I give Doug a little bit of credit here even though he's largely passive, like he doesn't really do much because pork chops, the one that goes in and takes care of business here, or at least tries to. But as soon as he hears the sounds of everyone screaming and pork chop howling, he immediately just like loses his mind and like rushes up the trellis and climbs it to try to save him. And so I have to give Doug some credit here as well, because obviously He's has no thought other than that he needs to save his dog. So I thought that was really cool. So I'm going to give Doug some props for that move as well. What are your thoughts on Mr. Bones's ending here? <laughs> I, I don't really have many, like in the sense that it's a good way to allow Doug to live, to fight another day, to have him sort of be the fall guy for the, for this video. It does mean that some people have now heard the song, but in theory, they don't care about it and, and no one will ever find out. But 
I feel bad for Mr. Bones in a way because apparently this was a big moment for him in some capacity and it's just been completely destroyed by Doug's hiccup performance of his song. So I, you know, t- to the degree that I care about Mr. Bones, which isn't that much, I guess I feel bad for the guy a little bit. But I will say the guys in his yodeling club, pretty judgmental because like, obviously a mistake happened. I mean, this isn't something that he planned to do to play this video of a middle school kid singing a bad version of a song that he wrote. So I, you know, it's, they really jumped the gun on that. Yeah, I mean, anyone with half a brain would realize that there was a mistake. I mean, part of it is also Mr. Bones. You got to check your work, man. You got to make sure the audio is good. I mean, even if it wasn't Doug's video, the audio could have been off. Something could have been wrong. You got to take it more seriously than that. But yeah, they kind of gloss over it just to make Doug's ending better. And Mr. Bones here, just the comic relief. And we kind of just gloss over it. But yeah, I mean, it's a big deal. And he's got some pipes, man. Like he's he's pretty good at singing. I, I honestly enjoyed his yodeling pretty much. And <laughs> I, I felt like that got glossed over too. Like the actual good singer here gets rejected, unfortunately. But it's that it, would be a really good story arc for an actual singing movie would be somebody recording with a lot of talent and something like this happens. And instead of the yodeling club, it would be some sort of a recording agency or whatever. And they hear it and they're like, we love this person. We got to find this person. So I was like, that would be a good idea for a feel good singing movie starring myself. Because if I can't have a good enough voice (laughs) to sing, I'll get a talented singer to do my voice. And I'll somehow find a way for me to fit as an actor. in it. I think that's brilliant. And I think that it could be a nostalgic millennial podcast production. I think we should... This will be our foray into film. Just saying. Uh, anyone who's listening, this idea is copyrighted. Just so you know, don't try to steal it. You know, you could be that guy, and I'm thinking Back to the Future, where he hears Marty playing, and he's like, "You got to check out this music," and he holds up the phone <laughs> or whatever. That could be you as like the studio um, head. Yeah, you're like, you got to yes. hear this music. Check this out. This is the next big thing. Paul, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm I, I feel the hype, man. I, I can feel it through the mic here. I can feel the hype. That's our next project. I mean, if there aren't any, you know, if if we have a break in the podcast, there are no episodes for a while, you'll know that we're off shooting Paul's Big Adventure. Yeah, well, <laughs> once we get funding for the, pro- for the project, we bark on our other ridiculous dreams that we never got to do. And <laughs> we just put our money towards that. I love it. So I'm assuming you like this episode better than the first one, just based on Porkchop's Way character. Better. Way, but I mean, I I like them both. It's one of those things that they're both so like, ingrained in my psyche to the point where, like I said, I didn't initially when you told me which episode we were doing, I had no clue what they were. But then once I started watching them, it was like just instant memories just unlocked left and right. And so they're both good. I mean, I don't know if there's like a bad Doug episode really. But I liked the first one. I thought it was good. I do like old detective movies and stuff like that. So I liked the framing of the first episode. But I felt like the second one really hit the sweet spot for me. What was your take on the two? Well, I picked the the song one, obviously, just because I, I assumed it had to deal with the song. And that's why I kind of separated it in that way. I honestly am glad being able to watch it with you to hear about the stuff with Porkchop. It it lets me understand the episode. Again, not that I have insane memory of the episode. 
to know, but to experience pork chop, really, I think you bring him to life in a different way than I would, uh, because I don't have the experience of, of having a close relationship with the dog. So that, that episode, I mean, to me, it was already good just based on the singing premise. And then that obviously puts it over the top. I think that the second half here is like a perfect 10. The first part, you know, I enjoyed it. It was good. I'd maybe give it like a seven or something like that. Yeah, it is important to remember we actually love watching the stuff that we talk about. So to, you know, keep that framework in mind as well when we're doing the podcast. Remember, we do love watching these episodes. And they were, yeah, they were just fun. They were short and quick and and really good. They each had morals behind them. I agree with you that I think they're both incredible. I'd probably put them both, you know, this episode I definitely put in the, I think it's fine putting it in the 10 category, nine, between nine and 10. And the first one between eight and nine easily. Just great themes, really good tie-ins to everything, and really short, crisp, clear morals that allow you to talk about it briefly and then move on to the next one. And again, this worked out really well. And it, to me, it's very similar to Hey Arnold. This was a little bit more lighthearted than Hey Arnold was in terms of the actual episode. I mean, Pigeon Man, like, come on. Like, that's, yeah, you're I mean, almost dude, crazy. You Pigeon Man in there. <laughs> I mean, dude. <laughs> Pigeon I, I, Man, that's. That's that's a whole nother like that's just all on its own. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah, I feel like in this one we could kind of riff back and forth a lot more and, and kind of go on some tangents about home improvement and whatnot. Whereas Pigeon Man, I felt like I was in a therapy lesson here trying to get through <laughs> the loss of my bird and everything and the loss of my hamster and whatnot. But I think that it's a hard hitting episode. But yeah, this one a lot lighter. But this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And we'll have to do Doug more in the future when we return to the past to the 1990s. Follow us on Patreon and Instagram at the Nostalgic Millennial Podcast. Our Patreon offers access to special posts, a Discord server, and bi-weekly exclusive episodes. Spend time with us there until our next new episode when we return to the 1990s.